I can't remember what it's like to feel cool. This week, it's very, very hot, so everyone take off your masks. Council voted to get rid of them. Plus, we'll talk about $250,000 for fireworks and, like, $30 billion for a Hyperloop. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 136, the outdated edition, where we will be talking about things that you already knew when our previous episode aired. Like the talk that you gave that we <laughs> failed to preview in advance. How did that go? Uh, well, you know, it was an online talk, so I wouldn't have attended. <laughs> I'm not interested in Zoom calls, but uh, it went well. I think I delivered the message home that don't run for public office. But if I'm being honest, the talk was just a segment for me to vamp in order to display the video, which you should have seen on Twitter or on YouTube. If you haven't, you're missing out. And in fact, like if you want more of this, all you have to do is encourage Taproot to pay me a full-time salary to put out memes constantly because the amount of times it takes is inordinate and way too high effort. <laughs> Full-time memer. Perfect segue into the rapid-fire segment. A new virtual reality attraction is launching at West Edmonton Mall this summer. According to Best Edmonton Mall, the fan site that got an early preview of the attraction, there will be 17 different VR experiences, giving those inside West Edmonton Mall what they all so dearly want the most, to feel like they're anywhere else. Say Dubai to the sinkhole on 61st Ave. In a July 1st miracle, the road has reopened to traffic. Today, as we're recording this. The intersection has been closed for nearly a year as crews waited for the delivery of a specialty pipe that could only be manufactured in Dubai. This is a great news story for the McDonald's at the intersection, who celebrated the sweltering July 1st afternoon by issuing a promo on soft serve ice cream for six minutes before the ice cream machine broke. It's the age-old question. Which came first? The bylaw pilot? or the urban farmer? The answer, as it turns out, is a third option, the pandemic. Of the 125 urban hen licenses the city of Edmonton has issued since 2015, 74 or more than half of them have been issued since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many have been trying to make sense of the data, speculating about an increased desire for food security or the need for a relaxing hobby in the pandemic, but the real reason is a bit more insidious. Edmontonians are a vengeful people. If you coop them up, they'll respond in kind by cooping up something else. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by, you know them, you love them, the ECF. The well-endowed podcast from the Edmonton Community Foundation, hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, and of course, produced by Lisa Pruden, explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. You know what you got to do. You got to subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. You can go wherever you get your podcasts and you can find out all about how the Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds and the podcast will tell the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Once again, you subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Mac, I am hot. It is a little toasty this week. <laughs> yes. So heat wave. I don't think we need to cover. I think you, dear listener, understand it is hot outside. Uh, some of the highlights is, you know, I think this is the hottest day ever on record in Edmonton. So that's cool. <laughs> Weather Nerdery is a fantastic blog. If you haven't already come across it, Edmonton Weather Nerdery, it's written by Chris Nelson. And he's been sharing all kinds of charts and stats and things like that. And today, as we're recording this, Edmonton has matched 
the record for the most consecutive days with highs above 30. And that doesn't really do it justice because what is the high been every day? Like 36, 37, 38, like really above 30. The record for this was set back in 1961. Uh, And the other thing that he pointed out is that we've set the warmest overnight low ever recorded. So the lows have also been higher than we've ever really had before. There's a lot of stories you could do here. You could do human interest stories about the hopeless Edmontonians who went on Kijiji and paid the scalper premium for portable air conditioners. (laughs) Who might that be? (laughs) Guilty as charged. But there's also another story here of like a counselor, say perhaps John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast, who, you know, does stories in the media about how hot sidewalks are and how that could hurt your dog, but yet voted against the climate emergency a mere couple years ago in 2019. These are all stories that I think are very tightly related. Oh, I I don't see how those are related at all, Troy. Neither does he. (laughs) Evidently not. Uh, Alberta has seen 14 all-time records uh, this week, six monthly records and 51 daily record max temperatures just on June 30th. So this is hot, not just here, but all across. You've probably seen the video from Lytton, BC, which set the new Canadian record for hottest temperature ever recorded in Canada and then the whole city was on fire like it's just insane and we're gonna get to fire later in the podcast but be safe everyone I think the other aspect of this heat and you start to see it come to light for example Cheryl Watson uh, this week came out with a policy platform to basically say hey we want more bottle refill and water fountain stations all over our river valley Uh, this is of course after the city as part of its warm weather protocol, decided to reactivate the water fountains in many of the River Valley locations. And we saw a tweet from Carrie Houghton McDonald, the yep. transit boss, who said uh, she's looking at getting water bottle refill stations installed in all transit centers as just a matter of due course, uh, but no timeline on that quite yet. It made me wonder, why Why did we have to turn the water onto these water fountains? Like if we have them, why isn't it on all the time? I have to assume it was a COVID thing, but that's dumb. (laughs) A lot of COVID precautions have been dumb, and you've heard me talk about it, but you need not go further than Ritchie Park to understand how dumb COVID restrictions have been from the city of Edmonton. Last year, it was tennis courts were closed down and you were unable to participate in tennis. The perfect outdoor social distancing activity with only your cohort, singles tennis. That was weird. The water fountain, there's one just in Ritchie Park by my house, and I have stopped many a time to refill my bottle and had it be off. And like I get, you know, suckling on a metal piece might communicate some COVID. (laughs) Yeah. Use signs. People are smart enough to use some caution. And if someone truly needs water enough, that they'd throw caution to the wind, you damn well better be sure water is there because that person needs water. Yeah, we've seen people distributing water all week long, which is great to see, but that's not a permanent solution. It's not a public solution. And having water accessible to people all the time, especially in a city like Edmonton, where we have really good water, uh, shouldn't be something we have to fight for. If you had asked me last week, I would have said that uh, something we shouldn't have to fight for is mask usage in the city of Edmonton. The city of Edmonton, of course, made waves earlier in the pandemic when we, I would say, forced the province hand on indoor masking and mask bylaws. Mm -hmm. We repealed it. Um, We brought to you all the uh, procedural snafus last week, but 
just like our decision desk predicted Friday in a 7-6 vote. The mask bylaw was set to be deactivated July 1st. And as we're recording this, deactivated it. It has been. Yeah, it only took like 42 minutes or something for everybody to go through it. I think every counselor uh, and the mayor spoke to it, except counselors Katarina and Nickel. Some of them used their time, like Counselor Esslinger, to set the record straight. She does not hate children. She addressed critics like you, Troy, directly. Uh, and others, you know, used their time to make all other kinds of bizarre defenses, like Counselor Cartmel. <laughs> counselor Cartmel. Can you, just for the benefit of the listener and me to get a kick, try to summarize what Cartmel's argument was here? I think he said something along the lines of, we should not be the appeals court for the province. He's basically trying to say that by council making a decision about a bylaw, which they are empowered to do, they are somehow calling into question the province. And then he had all kinds of hilarious hypotheticals that can't be true in some cases in his blog post defending this decision. But essentially, he was really upset that the province are the experts. They're the ones with all the data. They're the ones that can make projections, that the projections that the city can't make. And yet here is council potentially going against that, you know, conveniently ignoring the first 16 months of the pandemic and how that all went down. I mean, you already mentioned that that Edmonton kind of forced their hand in the summer and sort of led the way there. Why why not lead the way, right? That was all completely forgotten in Councillor Cartmel's explanation. In a vacuum, I can appreciate how, you know, council has complained about jurisdictional issues. We don't want to be backstopping provincial funding for things like affordable housing because it's the province's jurisdiction. So let's all keep in our little jurisdictional box. Mm -hmm. I can appreciate that argument in a vacuum, but he wasn't making this argument in a vacuum. Councillor Paquette brought it up to his face in the meeting and said, look, we have markedly and measurably the worst pandemic response in Canada and in many cases in North America. This is a fact. The numbers don't lie. So to call the province an expert and to say we need to defer to their authority when mere months ago, the city of Edmonton was saying we need to override the province's authority because they're refusing to take responsibility for their jurisdiction gives me some pause. And I think I sent a Slack message to you as this was happening, because not only was Carmel making these arguments, he was carrying aggressive water for the UCP. He was passionate in that meeting. Passionately defending the provincial government. And I mean, my cynical read on it is there's an election coming up in 2023. The UCP doesn't win any seats in Edmonton. Maybe they're thinking, hey, if Tim Cartmel can deliver us a South Edmonton seat, maybe there's a cabinet position for him. That's my best explanation for why he took this bizarre take. And and then in the blog post, a couple of days, or maybe later that day, or you know, the following day after the meeting, he tried to defend his decisions. And I want to read a particular part of it. He said, imagine a scenario where the provincial government, perhaps governed by a different party, I don't know why that's relevant, but whatever, put into place a province-wide mask restriction, and the city superseded that direction by enacting a bylaw that made face coverings optional. Would there not then be a considerable number of people telling council to stay in its lane and leave healthcare to the province? No, there would be lawyers telling them to because stay in the lane. Because you can't do that. City cannot override a provincial health order requiring you to wear a mask. Like his arguments in this blog post make no sense to me. <sighs> he wasn't the only counselor making less than what I would call a bounty of sense. <laughs> and 
you had mentioned Councillor Esslinger specifically, you know, responding yep. to some of the criticisms that I levied and Sarah Hamilton levied it as well. And I caught a little bit of flack this last week for specifically calling out our two women members of council for the lack of action on the mask bylaw. And to my mind, one, the five other votes are an absolute lost cause and I'm criticize them all day every day yeah but the other big issue is you know at some point you don't want to be the token women but the women on council need to stand up for women's issues for gba plus analysis and i cannot see any scenario where mask bylaws and specifically the removal of mask bylaw isn't a women's issue mask use is gendered. Yeah, I love what you tweeted about this. You're like, women tend to go to grocery stores more. Women work in early childcare and schools with unvaccinated children, servers and restaurants and bars. The brunt of the risk is borne by women. And I read that tweet from you and I was like, that's kind of true, actually. I, I don't you know how, I don't know how anyone could argue that. Well, and the whole argument of GBA plus analysis is to take issues that on their surface don't feel gendered and don't feel like they disproportionately target a specific demographic and yep. apply broad lens so we can develop better policy. And there's no better example of this than snow clearing. Snow clearing, you think, how can that be gendered? But it totally is because if you look at how women who are typically in more childcare roles will more frequently show up to schools, their roots as they pick up children, as they stop at the grocery store, tend to be on more neighborhood roads, on more circuitous routes. They're not straight on the arterials. And right. yet, if you look at our snow clearing strategy, we do arterials first, get to the neighborhoods later, get to the sidewalks last. If you apply a GBA plus lens to that, you might even say, well, let's flip this on our head and let's clear sidewalks first, then neighborhoods, then arterials last, because, you know, cars can drive better than people can slip on ice. This is the thinking that needs to be applied in a GBA plus analysis. Right. So how no one brought that forward on masks on something as critical as this boggles my mind. After I saw your tweet and I saw a few other people tweeting about the same kind of issue, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. I wonder if there's a GBA plus analysis of this. And there's nothing. And it, you're right. It's kind of shocking that that's not there for lots of different reasons we've adopted this, I thought, across the board. So all of this should be, all of our decisions like this should have a GBA plus analysis done on them. We had lots of reports last week where this was included. We talked about paid parking at parks and that had a GBA plus analysis attached to it, that recommendation that came forward. Uh, and then just this week, the city developed a GBA plus and equity toolkit as part of the zoning bylaw renewal. And there was an update at council or executive committee about that. And they made a big show of being, you know, the first Canadian municipality that has developed a formal practice to check these things on zoning issues, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I think that's fantastic. But it's kind of like the one hand is saying we're so good at GBA plus and the other has this really obviously, you know, gendered decision completely lacking any sort of analysis. The end result of it is we're maskless officially in the city of Edmonton. Except if you're on a bus or a train or in a taxi or in a healthcare setting or, in a, you know, <laughs> or a city employee <laughs> or if you work for the city of Edmonton. That's right. And I think we need to pause to talk about that, because how can it be that city administration recommends that there's no requirement to wear masks and that masks have no need to be mandated, and yet still mandate that all staff wear masks. 
doesn't a bit of hypocrisy start to bubble to the surface with that? I mean, absolutely. And the best part was their their defense of this. They said they had a responsibility to ensure employees are protected in the workplace. And that includes setting safety measures that are sometimes different from public health restrictions. Like, really? Don't they have a responsibility to make anyone using their facilities make sure that they're protected? Let's just get this on the table, right? Everybody wants to go back to not having to wear a mask everywhere. That would be really nice. There are some things that are very optional. You don't have to go to a bar or a restaurant, right? So if those businesses don't want to include masks or require them anymore because now the bylaws made that possible, fine. But what about grocery stores and other places where you have to go? Like you can't avoid that in some in a lot of cases. So you have to go to these facilities. And then there's all these people not wearing masks. And we know that what is going to happen, or here's my opinion about what is going to happen, is that the people who are wearing masks will be the ones that are made to feel anxious and like the outcasts and like, why are you wearing a mask, man? The, the rules are done. You don't have to wear that anymore. You know, I met with somebody earlier today and he mentioned that that was one of the things a friend of his said to him, like, why are you wearing a mask? You don't have to wear it anymore, you know? And it's like, well, I want to still, but it's increasingly going to be not comfortable to do so. The other sort of other side that I need to mention on this, because I did have a conversation with a couple of people the other day about this, and that's we're not a doomer and gloomer podcast. I won't speak for you, but when I look at the COVID numbers and I see that it's a hundred ish cases in the city of Edmonton, active, yep. active cases in the city of Edmonton, I'm double vaxxed. My immediate circles are all double vaxxed or will be within the next week or so. Yep. When I talk about inviting some people over to my house for dinner, there is virtually no risk associated with that. And like throughout this entire pandemic, people like you and I, we've been going above and beyond because the science tells us that the restrictions are not enough. The, the province isn't doing enough to keep people safe. So we take it on ourselves to act in a way that is more strict because the science tells us that. At this point, the only people that are truly being protected uh, are the people who choose not to get vaccinated, the people who have made this process more difficult for everyone along the way. And if I choose to have gatherings, even large gatherings, with my double vaccinated friends, there really isn't a risk for that. And I and other people probably shouldn't feel guilty about that. And yet, I sort of do, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. It's about managing risk and how can we most effectively manage risk, which is why a lot of the decisions that have been made throughout the pandemic make no sense to, you know, allow you to do indoor dining, but not have a couple of people over to your house. Like, you know, the science is pretty clear that there's transmission in restaurants. We've we've captured this. I would just say, you know, I think you're right about that. I'm now double vaccinated. A lot of people I know are, but my daughter's not yeah. and won't be for quite some time. And there's lots of people for other reasons that aren't. And, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge ask to not not just continue wearing like the easiest thing for council to do here would have been to do nothing they could have left it for a little bit longer they actually had to take an action to deactivate the bylaw on july 1st right so whether it was a couple of more weeks or till the end of the month or whatever it was nobody was talking about keeping the bylaw in place until december 31st though they could have if they wanted to it seems like a very simple action we could have taken to you know, have made sure that those active case numbers continue to go down. No one at any point in this argument was discussing, let's further restrict indoor gatherings. Let's further restrict what Edmontonians can do. It's just right. do whatever you want and wear a mask when you're in public. Yeah. One organization that will be doing whatever they want to damn the uh, public discourse around it 
is the city of Edmonton. While the city of St. Albert has opted not to have Canada Day fireworks out of consideration for reconciliation and because the site, Mission Hill, that they normally launch off of is the site of a former residential school, the city of Edmonton, on the other hand, is plowing ahead and will have a $250,000 fireworks show just in a couple of hours from when we record this. Yeah, most other municipalities will, which is really interesting because they put out a news release on June 29th, the city of Edmonton did, asking Edmontonians to demonstrate their commitment to reconciliation by reflecting on the legacy of residential schools this Canada Day. And I think the mayor was encouraging people to wear orange as part of this effort. But the simple thing that they could have done, which is cancel the fireworks, they are not doing. They're they're lighting the Walterdale Bridge, the High Level Bridge, City Hall, a bunch of buildings, uh, orange for the next four days. That's great. They're encouraging Edmontonians to do that. That's great. But the very simple thing of don't spend this money on fireworks too too much for them. The first thing that we just need to unpack is that fireworks right now in a historic heat wave when we haven't had rains for it seems like sixty years. Yep, it's dumb. It's a dumb plan. And there are fires around the Edmonton region. Like, that is already happening, right? So, irrespective of all the cultural phenomenon, fireworks right now are dumb. I think Mayor Nenshi said it pretty well when he was talking in support of his fireworks mm-hmm. that, you know, people in Calgary can keep two thoughts in their mind at once. And I did think it was a pretty important point because... Canada is not just residential schools. People too frequently forget the massive role in the genocide that our government and the Catholic Church played in the same way that, you know, just putting on an orange shirt isn't enough. I think just saying Canada Day bad, Confederation bad, let's ignore all of this. I think that too sort of like masks a complex issue because it is a complex issue. Yeah, I don't think it's as black and white as lots of people would like it to be. It's not that simple. And you're, you're right, and Nenshi is right, that you two things can be true at the same time. We can highlight the good things about Canada while also lamenting the bad things about Canada. I guess the, the main argument against that is just that this is such a simple action and the timing is just such, you know, so aligned, right? The the recent discovery of all of these unmarked graves on residential school sites, the continued discovery of this, even though we've known about this for a while, you know, the timing is just the, is right for uh, municipalities, especially ones like Edmonton, which have already made some pretty big, you know, commitments to truth and reconciliation. It's a simple action they could have taken. Yeah, and I think, again, emphasizing, fireworks dumb there are Canada Day activities that could have been precisely valuable for that thinking two things at once for example typical Canada Day activity you could have a pancake breakfast that's something that you know is celebratory in that you know you get to experience this thing with your family yeah but it also allows one-to-one discussion you can have those conversations with your family with uh, elders with whoever is there and you know it can be one of those to mind moments. Fireworks are pretty exclusively revelry. Like, I don't know that there is a way to have somber fireworks. No, I think that's true. It's pretty much everybody cheers when the fireworks go off. $250,000. Rob Hooley, who we've had on the show before, said on Twitter that maybe we should have invested that two hundred and fifty grand into investigations into the harms of residential schools. 
And there was 11 Indigenous leaders who signed a letter asking councillors to reconsider holding the Canada's Day celebrations. You know, it's all about just this avoiding falling into business as usual. That's what they're pushing for here. Well, and this sort of flows into this feature that Taproot Edmonton did this week, addressing sort of like, okay, well, I'm a person who maybe doesn't love that Edmonton is proceeding with the fireworks. I want to do more to further the story on truth and reconciliation. What can I do? And it was actually a complex question. Yeah, super complex. I mean, uh, you've got to educate yourself, as people always say. And so we tried to do that ourselves. And uh, Jackson and uh, Karen dug into this and and discovered uh, some things about the Indigenous framework. So this was a document that City Council endorsed in February after extensive consultation with Indigenous leaders. But it's very much a beginning embryonic stage document. It has these seven commitments in it about building stronger relationships with Indigenous peoples in Edmonton. That's all good. But it's going to be a long time before this framework is really fully implemented. And so uh, one of the most obvious and simple things that can you can do besides reading the document and becoming familiar with it is to ask candidates about this in the upcoming municipal election and to make sure that they are also thinking about this or maybe even just to make sure that they're aware uh, of this document and the sort of commitments that the city of Edmonton is making. No finer point can be put on it than the Canada Day fireworks. Council didn't opt to have these fireworks, but council didn't opt to stop the fireworks either. True. It was an administrative decision, and perhaps the administration should have consulted this framework and made a different decision. But if in the case where you know they didn't, if this is something that the population wants, then council needs to be that accountability, that people's voice to further that discussion. Absolutely. One discussion that, uh, to my great disdain, has furthered itself this week <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, I, I almost feel bad transitioning from something so serious to something like this so flippantly, but this speaks not to the lack of seriousness of the previous item, but simply how completely absurd the Hyperloop is. Monorail! Monorail! <laughs> Here's the thing, okay? A monorail would at least be rail. It would be a proven <laughs> technology. It would be a technology that we know works. This is a Hyperloop, and we got some estimates this week. Yeah, so Transpod, this is the private company that wants to build this Hyperloop system between Calgary and Edmonton, announced this week that they've determined that doing so is feasible. Feasible, but not okay. cheap. Okay, it's feasible. So <laughs> rail wasn't feasible at like what? Four billion dollars. So this this hyperloop's gonna cost one, two billion dollars? Mm, a little more than that. Last year they estimated that to build the full line would be between six billion dollars and ten billion dollars. It's a lot. Not too much more than rail, right? Yeah. For for some new fancy technology. But now the feasibility study projects the cost to be twenty-two point four billion plus Another $6.7 billion for fixed infrastructure, you know, like stations, which you kind of need. <laughs> Those aren't optional. <laughs> Along a Hyperloop. I don't actually really understand why. Uh, I think this is a CBC article. It's written that way. But like we're talking about $30 billion here in both the track and the stations and everything that goes along with it. They hope to have a test track constructed sometime before 2027 with construction on this full connection between Edmonton and Calgary starting sometime in 2025. And they claim it will be privately funded, which at first I was like, 
okay, I suppose this is a little bit like the gondola and that privately funded, but what if, what if? But then you made a really good point about why this is still a bad idea, even if it is privately funded. Normally, people would say, you know, okay, if it's privately funded, corporations can do whatever they want with their money, whatever. The problem is, if we build a Hyperloop from Edmonton to Calgary, we are never building public high-speed rail between Edmonton to Calgary. And if the Hyperloop is costing $30 billion, you can bet ticket prices are going to be in the 150 to 250 range versus something like high-speed rail where you could feasibly get from Edmonton to Calgary for what? Maybe 40 bucks? Right. This is not an affordable option. This is not a mass market option. This is not an option that betters the public. This is a rich person's pipe or vacuum tube dream that will materially harm the province of Alberta and will make it so that high-speed rail, which is already something that we always say can't happen, could absolutely never, ever, 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 ever happen. Great point. Um, also, side note, if they truly believe they can start construction by 2025 on a $30 billion <laughs> Hyperloop, yeah. then damn, my gondola naysayer, I was wrong. Yeah, The gondola can absolutely be done for $30 million. No doubt. If they want to do this and this is possible, then anything's possible. It's sort of inspiring in a way. Crazy, but inspiring. Nothing is more inspiring than civic democracy. And it's time for your weekly segment. It's the Municipal Election Rundown with the backing track you're hearing in the background. This is from Brian Breezy Gregg. It is the soundtrack for his platform. Thanks, Breezy, for uh, this fun stuff. This comes as he launches his quest to become Edmonton's mayor. That's, that's a quote. And he's challenged other candidates to release their financial information and disclose which political party they support federally. Um, cool. I don't think anyone's going to do that. <laughs> his platform has it all, though. Free transit, free Wi-Fi, affordable housing, getting big money out of politics, and all set to this lovely backing track. It's amazing. Go check out Brian Breezy Gregg's website, because if nothing else, this guy takes earnestness to a fault. I can't be sure whether he's a joke candidate or the most serious candidate we have in the race, but it's definitely one of those two things. Speaking of other mayoral candidates, we've got just a whole host of mayoral policy. Uh, I remember at the start of the year, we were complaining about all these people running for mayor and they didn't have anything to show for it. Yep. Well, Tim Cruschel still has nothing to show for it, but the rest of them are really putting out policy. Amarjeet Sohi launched the beginning stages of his economic uh, redevelopment plan to support the city's tech economy and fix unnecessary permit delays and all the other stuff that every other candidate for mayor talks about and every current mayor talks about constantly. Cutting red tape, cutting red tape, right? He, he basically just didn't say that, but that's what he means. Uh, Michael Oshry, in the same vein, uh, released his social procurement policy, which basically said, we should support local when we're procuring stuff. And here's a policy that does that. And great, Michael, everyone has already said all of this a billion times before. Maybe it's because, and boy, are these tunes really picking up. Maybe it's just because Breezy has inspired me with a soundtrack. But Breezy's really the only one who's like saying, I'm going to have ambition on my quest for mayor. And why not, right? Uh, that's our municipal election roundup for this week. Thanks <laughs> for the tunes this week, Breezy. And also thank you to our sponsor for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Rumi by Atco. We've talked about them before on the show, but now they sent us a clip. Hi there, I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? 
Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit roomy.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today. And that's all we've got time for this week. But I think a couple listeners have reached out, and as the summer heat, they get thinking about their summer vacations and the summer break, and council will be coming up on their summer break pretty quick. We have one more week of regularly scheduled council meetings left before they go on their summer break for most of July and into early August, and they come back kind of second week of August, third week of August. And most years, we would disappear into the ether and go enjoy our lives and have a break, and work-life balance be damned, we're not doing that this year. We're going to keep this train going all the way to the election. So we've got episodes planned over the whole summer. What will they be about? Your guess is as good as mine, but I think there might be some election coverage in it. You can look forward to that all summer long. We're here for you in this sweltering, sweltering heat, this prison of podcast. So continue to join us on Speaking Speaking Municipally. Hello, everybody. My name is Brian Breezy Gregg, and I'm running to be our next mayor of the city of Edmonton, also known by its traditional name, Amiskawashi Waskaigan. Actually, the title of our platform for this campaign is Building a Caring Economy with Love and Respect for Everyone. And number one of the 14 points on our platform is getting big money out of politics. I just think all over the world and even in our own city, there's just too much big money in politics. We need to change things up. 